0: What's going on, everybody? Brennan Schaefer here with you. Another b Shave Daily. Been a couple of days, but I'm ready to do it. The postseason, end-of-season Cardinals B-Shape Daily. As for St. Louis, it now turns from thinking about the playoffs and the 2020 campaign. It, It now turns to thinking about the future as the Cardinals, of course, eliminated few days ago by the San Diego Padres. Today is Wednesday, October 7th. And so we'll get into talking now about the Cardinals offseason. You know, obviously disappointing end for St. Louis to the season. Um, Only one team gets to end on top, of course, with a win for the Cardinals. It seemed like with everything, the adversity and all that they faced this season, it was going to be pretty unlikely for that team to be them. Um, but you know, their mantra, anybody can, can win it. Once you get in, all you got to do is get in the postseason. Cardinals managed to do that against, I, I think some pretty, uh, significant odds, you know, uh, like we always said on the show, we expected them to get in, but objectively speaking, there were a lot of things working against them toward doing so. And I think they, they could be proud of the accomplishment of making it into the playoffs as the five seed. They weren't, you know, a team that benefited necessarily from the expanded postseason because they'd have been in under the previous format because they were the number five seed in the national league ran into a Padres team that early in the series looked like they might be able to, to get the better of them. Cardinals played a great first game in really all phases. Didn't get a great start out of Quan Young Kim, but otherwise they, they got everything they pretty much could have wanted in game one. Game two was going along pretty similarly. Didn't get a great start from Wainwright, but got enough to keep you in it, the offense did their job early, and then you were going to be able to finish things out with the bullpen. And, of course, Game 2 didn't go that way. The Cardinals' bullpen didn't get it done. And the Cardinals, in the process of allowing San Diego back into that game, they they woke up a sleeping giant in that series. And the Padres, kind of a team we talked about as a momentum team, certainly exhibited that through the final three innings of game two and in game three when as you know with a bullpen start didn't even really have a true starter Craig Stammen was their their quote-unquote starter for that game but he only went one plus innings maybe maybe he did get through two but that was a bullpen game for San Diego and the Cardinals offense the the one you feared the one you hoped you wouldn't see that's the one that showed up in game three and so there goes your season. I mean, we talked about it time and time again. The way the Cardinals would be eliminated, if they were to be eliminated, it would be more likely than not because of the offense falling asleep. And that's what happened in Game 3. Got a good pitching performance, a very good pitching performance out of Jack Flaherty. But you can't win if you don't score. It's one of my one of my favorite lines that we've used on the show because it's true. And in the case of the Cardinals in 2020, there was uh, there's a lot of merit to that. And so that's how your season ends. Um, of course, the news about the passing of Bob Gibson at age 84 after his battle with cancer coming on the, on the same night on Friday as the Cardinals' elimination from the postseason made for a very emotional, understandably so, postgame. Hearing from the Cardinals' stakeholders in particular, uh, the one that stood out the most to me, you know, Jack Flaherty stood out. Because uh, the relationship that he had forged with Bob Gibson uh, was was special. Talked about you know the fact that Bob Gibson sought him out, and you've you've probably heard or read about it since that the beginning of that relationship, the friendship, the mentorship. Bob Gibson reaching out to Jack Flaherty. He said, "I want to meet Jack Flaherty, and I want to to become involved in his life." That was Bob Gibson's doing a really special man, a really special uh cardinal special player in the team's history, one of the greatest if not the greatest uh right-handed pitcher of all time, Bob Gibson. So, you know, that was a that was a heavy night for for Cardinals fans and for the players, but I, what I wanted to say, the one that stood out for me really the most in the post-game and and if you were if you saw any video clips of the or Molina, his reaction to just all, all the emotions of that night was pretty it was pretty substantial. Again, understandably so. You think about it. You know, Yadier Molina had to be going through a lot, a lot going through his mind on that night because you want you want to win. He's a competitive guy, and so first and foremost, you want to. It sucks when your season ends, whenever that is. And, and that's true in any season. If you if your season ends and you're not the one team left standing, that's you know you're gonna that's gonna be that's gonna be a bummer. But to add in all the other things going on, Bob Gibson, for one, you know that's what really seemed to get him emotional, and that was probably the thing at the forefront of his mind. Spoke about, you know, how how significant of a loss for the Cardinals family it is. You know, he said you can lose games, you lose a series, but you know when you lose lose a guy like him, like Bob Gibson, you know that's that's a hard thing. And so clearly, that was heavy on the heart of of Yachty Friday night. Tears streaming down his face as he talked to the media after the game. And then you think about, you know, his future, what that's going to look like. Was that the final game for Yadier Molina in a Cardinals uniform? It may well have been, you know, in a 2020 that has had a lot of question marks and has invited a lot of question marks about the future I don't think it's an open and shut case that Yadier Molina returns to the Cardinals. A lot of it's going to depend on the money, really. And I know fans hate to hear that because their perspective, and rightfully so, in a lot of ways, is there's plenty of money. It's just a matter of, do you want to spend it? What do you want to spend it on? And I think there are Cardinals fans who feel Competitively, maybe Yadier Molina is not the player that he once was, which is which is fair to some regard. You still see a lot of special things from him on a daily basis. I, I agree, you know, the, the power isn't really much of an element of his game anymore. He still is a clutch hitter to me, one of will will go down as one of the greatest clutch hitters in Cardinals history. Because time and time again he does seem to come through in the big moment. Defensively, I think he's still—I I still cannot question the the job he does calling games. You know, handling a pitching staff. Cardinals starters benefit from Yadier Armelina, I do believe that the the defense is is something not just with Yadi but across the board, across the infield and even throughout the outfield. It's something that I think lowers Cardinals pitchers' ERAs by a little bit every year, especially the last couple of years when their defense has been pretty good. I think Yadier Molina, the job he does, call him a game, it, it is part of part of that success as well. I don't think that's something that you can just outright dismiss. Um, I, I definitely believe that plays a factor. The, the comfort level pitchers would have, throwing to Yadier, the, the wealth of experience that he brings, I definitely think that comes into play. So there is value to be had there. But the question really is, in his contract for the last three years, has been $20 million per season. Obviously, in 2020, he didn't make that amount because it was all prorated based on the 60 game season but that's what was written into his contract do i envision that yadier molina is going to acknowledge the concept invite the possibility that he may not be worth 20 million dollars a year to the cardinals would he would he sign for less i i don't know the answer to that i really don't and if he and if the answer is yes I still think for the Cardinals, there's another question. Well, how much less? Because, reportedly, he's wanted to sign a deal for two additional seasons. Would you sign Yadier Molina if you're the Cardinals to a two-year, $30 million contract? $15 million per season. That's something, by the way, that even if Yadier Molina wants to do, wouldn't be able to be signed until after the World Series ends. He would officially have to become a free agent. Because you can't offer a contract greater than 20% uh, of a decrease compared to his previous year's salary and so $16 million is the lowest the Cardinals could offer him without him going into free agency officially and then could always re-sign. Yeah, Adam Wainwright did the same thing uh, in 20, after 2018 I believe it was heading into 2019 and so it's not a deal breaker by any means And Wainwright is the other factor about this, now that I've brought his name up. He's a guy that pitched this season 3.15 ERA, I believe it was, 5-3 record. Logged a hell of a lot of innings for this team when they really needed them. He's a guy that I would love to have back for the Cardinals. I mean, you lost Dakota Hudson already. He's going to be out for the year. You already know that with Tommy John. Miles Michaelis, to me, you've got to still count him as a question mark. I know he had the, the flexor tendon surgery, but and hopefully that fixes the issue and it doesn't continue to give him problems to where it eventually leads to an elbow concern because that would be a disaster because that would be two lost seasons in a row for Michaelis when you're, you're paying him a decent amount to be a, a fixture in your rotation. So Michaelis is supposed to be back after his surgery that he had like early August, supposed to be back ready for spring training. Let's hope that's the case. Jack Flaherty, fingers crossed he remains healthy. You're fine there. You got Flaherty, you got Michaelis, you got Quan Yun Kim. I feel fine about him in the rotation for next year. Carlos Martinez? No, I don't think you can feel fine about him. I don't think you can pencil him in. Anything you get from him, if he can be a starter and be effective, I hate to say it, and we're going to have a lot more conversation about it. Today's kind of just the general wrap-up. We'll really dive into the Carlos situation uh, as we go, that could even be something to talk about later this week. It's going to be a huge topic this offseason. But I don't think you can count on him as a starter after what you saw this year. I had no reason to doubt him coming into this year. This was my belief. And, you know, you may have felt differently. But if you look at the numbers, I think it bore out that I my viewpoint was, look, he's only ever been good as a starter. Where has this narrative come that he can't be good as a starter? I recognize that it's been two years, year and a half, really, because he started in 2018, did fine until he got injured mid-season. So a year and a half since he's been in the bullpen, end of 2018, all of 2019. And so from that perspective, from a workload perspective, you know, he's he's still prime age. He's not 30 years old yet. I don't believe he's turned 30. But from that perspective, doable, but you can understand that it's just a thing where we haven't seen it in a while, and we'd like to see it before we Anointed, Uh Absolutely. We got to see you be able to fill that starter role once again. But it, at the time, I felt should be noted, he's never failed in that role. They just took him out of it for various reasons, good reasons. You know, could they have brought him back in 2019? Maybe. Needed him as a closer. They felt that way. I disagreed with it. That's fine. But then you have this season where if I'm penciling in a rotation for 2021, I can't take what he did this year and say, you know, he's still the guy that he was. Maybe he will be. Maybe this was just another example of good reasons, stuff happening to Carlos Martinez is not his fault. You know, people don't like to make excuses for him. And I understand that because we're, we're kind of in the third year of hearing about injury concerns, character concerns with regard to timeliness and, and taking care of his workload in between starts to be able to, to do what a starter needs to do. That's been a thing. It's not, you know, it's, people love to defend Carlos on Twitter with when people attack his character. I'm not talking about hair color, though. That kind of stuff doesn't matter. I'm talking about the stuff that, is he getting his work done? Is he preparing like he needs to? Questions about that in conjunction with a shoulder injury that he was dealing with that only, I think, intensified the questions because it required extra from him to be able to get back to where he was health-wise. And so in 2019... That's kind of why he started out in, in a relief role. And then, you know, they they kept him there because of the injury to Jordan Hicks. That was their explanation. That was out of the mouth of John Moselock. So a lot of reasons. I don't have to rehash it really any further than that right now because you guys know what happened. You know what, what has gone down within the last couple of years. But coming into this year, I thought, you know, in spring they said he looked great. In summer he looked great. And he was doing everything he needed to do to be a starter. Did the COVID thing was that what derailed him this season? I don't know, but I also could see the Cardinals perspective of count him as a six starter. I would still bring him to camp as a starter. I would have him. I don't want to just pigeonhole him into a closer role. When I anticipate Jordan, Jordan Hicks being able to do that. Like I want Carlos as a reliever who could potentially elevate into a starter. If he shows proficiency, that's kind of the way I'm looking at it, but I don't want to count him as part of the five, and I really don't want to count him as the closer either because, like I said, I think you'll have other options, and I prefer him in... I, I I, think that's a there is a mental thing about being a closer, and I think while he did overall do really well in the role, I think it's just one of those things where if you have other options that aren't going to take you on the Carlos coaster in the ninth inning, I would maybe prefer those guys and, and use him in, in a leverage role where you, you saw what bullpens had to become this year. Guys like Alex Reyes and Henesis Cabrera and Austin Gomber, Cardinals were willing to use those guys for multiple innings kind of as a result of what this season was but I don't think that needs to necessarily change by by a whole lot if you've got a guy like Martinez who maybe could give you multiple innings but he's not the mop-up guy. He's multiple innings because we're trying to win this game. I think that could be a role for Carlos if the Cardinals get creative. They got as creative as they've been having guys go one and a third and then taking them out because of matchups. Like you could do things like that. I think that could continue to some extent next year, maybe not to a great extent, but at any rate, I feel like if Carlos is retained, which again, I'm getting off topic here from what I wanted to talk about, the starting rotation, but if he is retained and he's not traded, I don't think you can count on him as one of the five. Flaherty count on him. Michaelis, you're hoping you can count on him. Kwan Young Kim could probably count on him, you hope. But Adam Wainwright, it feels like there's room for him, certainly, because I'm counting three guys and I'm after that. I'm like, well, I don't really know. I don't really know. So, uh, yes, I would be interested in bringing Adam Wainwright back. If you're interested in some of the names that I'm considering after that, Gomber deserves a shot, had a really solid year. Ponce de Leon, in my opinion, I'd love to see him have a shot. He finished the year pretty well. I don't worry about what he did in that postseason game. Everybody was getting homered off of that day out of the Cardinal bullpen. So I think Ponce de Leon is someone I, I don't want to see them trade him because I think he's another one of those guys that if well, the minute you do, he's going to Luke Voigt on you. He's going to, you know, Sandy Alcantara on you. He's going to Meg Sierra on you. He's going to help somebody else win games. Uh, if I'm the Cardinals, I'd like to see him help me win games. So I still think he's a good pitcher. Not somebody I'm counting maybe as part of my five necessarily, um, but certainly somebody I'd won on the roster in a pinch uh, because I think he could fill out that that six-starter role that you know you're going to need. Gomber's the same way. I, I think c- competition between Gomber and Ponce de Leon in spring training for the fifth spot wouldn't really have a huge issue with that. It's not ideal. A lot of people are maybe groaning about that. I think I saw more from those two this year that that makes me feel like I mean they're not going to be young guys forever. Like Pustin Leon's like 28, 29, I don't know. He's 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 time to establish. And same, Gomber, you know, he's a little bit younger, maybe a year or two younger, but established. Let's I mean he, he, they've got the goods. Let's see one of There's no reason that we have to in our minds hold these guys down as not capable of filling a rotation spot coming into a year, especially when you're already going to be down a Dakota Hudson. So I don't have an issue with it. I wouldn't trade either of them unless you're really getting the bat that you feel is going to be the difference maker. And I don't know. I don't know that their, their names and trade value will have that kind of cachet. Um, Gomber maybe has more trade value right now because his numbers look better this year. Andy's a lefty, um, Ponce de Leon you'd have to have an organization like I could see Tampa Bay saying oh well, we saw we like what we saw from him late in the season and, and our scouts can decide we give him this bit of advice and he can go come be a ray and be a stud like wouldn't surprise me a bit so I'd like the Cardinals to figure out how to maximize the resources they have I know the offense is going to be a considerable factor heading into 2021 we're not going to talk about it much today but it is definitely something that's it's something's got to give with this offense you can't continue with the same pieces you had that finished near the bottom of the league once again in offensive production. It was the case in 2019. Cardinals succeeded and reached the National League Championship Series in 2019 despite their offense not because of it. 2020 I think it's fair to say they they reached the postseason in spite of the offense with occasional contributions from the offense not because the offense carried this team. Pitching carried this team. Defense, for the most part, was was good and helped to carry this team. And the offense was sporadic. They scored. And, and, I mean, that's the thing. If you look at their ranks, as far as runs scored, that's one thing. But I think what's more concerning is just the fact of how many games they had where they didn't score at all. You know, when you have a game where you score 16 runs or 12 runs, the Cardinals had a couple of real big run totals in in individual games that kind of buoyed their run total for the season. When you, when you mix those in with a couple of goose eggs, it's like, well, it doesn't look so bad. I mean, that's still eight runs a game, right? If you score 16, one and, and zero, the next still eight runs. And so their averages, honestly, I think are probably better than the effectiveness with which they scored those runs. You could make the argument that it's great to score six runs every game, because for the Cardinals in 2020, at least during the regular season, not the postseason, they won every single time they did that. Every single time they scored six runs, they won the game. But I think, and again, you don't get to pick, you don't get to save runs for the next day. I understand how this works, but I think it's a fair criticism to bring up the fact that while they are capable of having those days where the entire lineup goes off and is on all cylinders firing away they they also had the days where they didn't score at all and those days were too frequent every team's going to run into some hot pitchers or you know have a day where they just aren't there there are reasons that throughout a season you don't perform offensively i understand the cardinals as much as any team them and the marlins had reason to probably come up with some excuses and say our guys were dead tired our guys you know what they had to do the night before because of the quarantine and then going into the, you know testing and taking these daily tests. Everybody had to deal with the daily tests, but not everybody had to deal with some of the things the Cardinals had to to deal with. Just basically taking off two weeks without really much baseball activity all at all in between. So I get it that, that there were reasons, and Mike Schilt kind of brought this up too toward the end. That you know there there are things that you don't see outside of that clubhouse because nobody else the media included this year has, has access to what's going on inside those walls. And so there are things we don't know and there are things we never really will know probably, but that, that doesn't mean you can just go through this off season and into the next with the same group offensively. I don't, I don't think that's a winning recipe. I also don't think that the Cardinals are necessarily going to be beaten down the door to, to make some Big signings, major contracts. I don't think any team, it's going to be interesting to see which teams do, you know, because there's going to be free agents there are every year that are marquee names that are worth paying up to get. What those contracts look like and, and which teams are the ones handing them out because that's what's going to be interesting to me. I don't anticipate the Cardinals being one of those teams to sign a marquee free agent. Um, You know, that's been the case for years now. And it's even more so going to be the case going into this offseason where COVID is going to be you can call it an excuse I they would tell you it's a reality of the business like it's just the reality they're in we're not going to be able to spend well I think the truth is somewhere in between I think definitely financially this year has hit the Cardinals hard, it's hit every team hard and I understand that and it's going to limit what they're going to do, that's what I'm going to say it'll limit what they're going to do I'm not going to say it's going to limit what they're going to be able to do because I, I still think to some extent you could find ways to to make this work, but the margins will be much slimmer, and for that reason, again, with uncertainty going into 2021 about what the profits and the revenues could look like, because we, it's not a guarantee that fans will be, you know, full capacity by next summer. I don't think that's a guarantee at all. I think that Major League Baseball teams will be fortunate if they're able to to do some sort of partial capacity. I, I mean, there's no vaccine or anything yet that I'm aware of that's being distributed. So next year could impact teams financially as well, and teams are going to have to plan ahead with regard to that to make sure their margins are where they, they want them to be, where they need them to be, and pre-agency is going to be different this year and perhaps for multiple years to come, horrible time to be having a collective bargaining agreement coming up on expiring after 2021 because players are rightfully going to want, you know, a deal that benefits them and the owners are understandably going to say, well, no, we can't do this. You know, we can't meet you halfway even because the the lines have been redrawn because of COVID-19. So it's going to be it's going to be dicey. I mean, as far as speaking strictly to a Cardinals perspective, you know, they they they're going to have to nail it. They're going to have to the free agents they do go after and and potentially sign one or two. They're going to have to sign the right guys. Trade-wise, they're going to have to cut bait on the right guys. And then they're going to have to maybe bring in, you know, they might have to give up some some ammunition on the pitching side to get some players on the on the player side, on the, the position player side, that are going to benefit them and, and, you know, be able to field a competitive win, winning roster in 2021. That's going to be a challenge. And look, I don't think you can just sit back and say, well, we can't make moves because we're afraid of making the wrong ones. That's what you're charged with. If you're John Moselak, like, you're charged with making the right ones. You look back at last year, you know, hopefully the trade for Matthew Liberatore shows – to be the right one, to be a good one. Randy Arozarena is looking pretty good for the Rays right now in the postseason. That's got a lot of people kind of on edge about that trade. Obviously, Jose Martinez, we love him in St. Louis, but he didn't pan out in, in Tampa. They dumped him off to the Cubs, who had been optioning him back and forth between South Bend, Indiana, late this season. So, really, you're talking about Arozarena. You take it back to the Cardinals. Had this outfield group of a bunch of guys, and they knew – there were too many of them and they had to pick. Now they traded Randy or Rosarena to Tampa Bay while they let Harrison Bader stay again. A lot of people have an issue with Bader. What he did this season, I'd say looking look up and down the lineup. Harrison Bader had one of the higher OPSs on the team. It's just a reality plays good defense, really good defense. So, you know, maybe that's not the name that I would, would poo poo if I'm, but I understand it. Like if a Rosarena is straight up the better player, it's like, Did Bader not have that trade value? We heard rumors about the Mets asking on Bader, different teams. The Cardinals didn't want to trade him. That's fine. You know, he had a fine—he had an okay season. Like, I don't think we go back and evaluate everybody. you got to do it carefully this year because there were a lot of circumstances. But Bader specifically, I don't have a huge issue with the way he played this season. Had some big hits. Played the defense that you expected him to play, by and large. But, like, Lane Thomas didn't have a good showing. Tyler O'Neill. Led the team in home runs, or at least was tied for it. Didn't have a good showing. Period. Offensively, both those guys far below Bader on OPS. For one, I know Tyler O'Neill. He he just didn't he just didn't have that the kind of year you thought you thought he could have. They bet on him. They bet on on Bader. They bet on Lane Thomas being able to pick up the slack. They bet on Dylan Carlson coming on strong. Carlson did in the final week or so of the season, week or two. I think he's going to be the player that everybody hoped he would be. That's going to be fine. It's going to help him next year for sure. But if you had this group of outfielders, Bader, Lane Thomas, Randy Rosarena, might be forgetting some guys, Justin Williams, Tyler O'Neill, and you trade Randy Rosarena, who at the time we said, look, they have all these names. They got to trade one. But if he's the best of the bunch, that's going to hurt. If he's proven to, to over time, he proves to be the best of the bunch. That's going to hurt. It's another transaction, another trade that you can look at and say, man, I don't think the Cardinals got the better end of this. You're watching Luke Voit lead the majors in home runs for the Yankees. I don't know if he finished with the lead, but he was there for a while. Great offensive force. Cardinals could use that. Again, you got Paul Goldschmidt. Everything worked out with regard to that. But, you know, you got Gio Gallegos, who's one of your best relievers. Again, you, you, it's not like you got didn't get anything for Luke Voigt. It's not like Luke Voigt was doing Luke Voigt things when he was with the Cardinals, when he was that version of Luke Voigt. So, you know, it's just one of those things. But how many times can there be one of those things before we have to, you know, I I know people complain about John Moselock and the different transactions and the moves. Eventually, you know, you, you just got to acknowledge that there has been there have been several of these moves that are like, man, they've got, you know, you want to see them win some of these trades. Or at least not let some of these guys go that turn into superstars. And, and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna see both sides in it. I'm going to see the fans' perspective of yeah, that sucks when you see guys performing, especially an outfielder like a Rosarena. That one would hurt. Mag Sierra performing pretty well for the Marlins. The Ozuna trade didn't pan out. Mag Sierra's helping the Marlins try to win another playoff series. And they lost to the Braves in that first game, but he's out there. Sandy Alcantara starting game one for him. So, I mean, you've given up pieces and, and you don't have a whole lot to show for it. And so from that perspective, I understand uh, fan frustration for sure. And you can you can point at concrete examples and say, that's that's gotta, you know, what what gives on this one. I think by and large, Cardinals front office has done a good job. You continue to be competitive, continue to make postseasons, and continue to not have losing seasons the way they have. There's a lot to be commended about that. And so I, I People saying, "Well, the Cardinals got eliminated in the first round of the playoffs this year. Are they going to fire Mo? No, it's ridiculous. It's, it's. I've, I've never been more confident in, in saying anything in my life. No, he won't be fired. Don't worry about it. It's not going to be a thing. It's not, not even on the hot seat. Not even a, a thought, an inkling. If that makes you mad, I'm sorry, but it's just a fact. By and large, the front office has done a good job. And this year, they've had a lot to, to deal with." I know the Cardinals were not an exciting team necessarily. You talk about these teams mashing home runs and consistent offense, and people talking about the Cardinals b- being relatively boring. I mean, I can make that argument, I guess, but to me, it doesn't. Re- winning is what matters. I don't. I I, I can understand you could have an exciting, interesting team that doesn't win as much, and that could be maybe more fun for the fan experience. Give me the team that wins because. To me, that's fun. That's what makes it fun is if you win and you make the postseason and you you win postseason series. Cardinals obviously didn't win a postseason series this year, but playoff team got a lot of holes, going to have to be very strategic in the way they fill them. That's my my point in bringing all of this up to kind of wrap things up today. Strategic in the way you fill those holes, that's going to be the key for the Cardinals. Can you make the trades that can – find the pieces that you're missing right now can you make the savvy free agent signing they've done it a lot with pitching credit to you know again I'm not if it, if it sounds like I'm trying to bash a front office with some of this I, I, I'm not I'm just trying to give you both sides of it Kwon Young Kim big signing not didn't cost them a lot they went out and found him and got him and they I think they knew what they had in him I think they knew he'd have a good season and he did he was good for the Cardinals he helped them make make the playoffs this year no question We'll see how he does in year two when the league kind of gets more eyes on him and gets to start to figure him out a little more. But good signing. You can't really have a a bad signing of a guy that costs you like $8 million for two years or whatever it is they paid him. I'm not even sure exactly the, the details of what it was. But for what they paid him and for what he gave you already in year one, there's no way you lose that signing. So they've made some savvy pitching signings. Maybe not as far as relievers go, but... Kwan Young Kim is a, a, a example of a good signing. Offensively, Brad Miller, nice signing. I mean, he gave you he gave you something this year, and for what you, you paid for him, virtually nothing. Picked him up right, you know, at the beginning of spring training. Good proved to have been a good signing. Cardinals need more of those kinds of signings, and maybe you you dip even above, and that's where they've kind of had issues. Like Andrew Miller, I don't know that you could yet call that a good signing. His option vested for next year, he'll be on the team, he'll be paid handsomely to do it, to pitch for them as a left-handed reliever, but is, is his contract at the end of the day, are you going to look at that as a as a net positive or a net neutral, net negative? Signing those guys in the tier where you do got to spend a little bit on them, picking correctly on those types of free agents in, in those, that tier, that mid-level tier of trade candidates. I think that's going to be important for him. And you know, it'll be fun to kind of break it down when things happen, when other teams sign guys, hey, would this have been a player for the Cardinals? Could you trade rumors? You know, I hope we have a relatively quote-unquote normal offseason with regard to potentially having some moves made and some things we can talk about for the Cardinals. I, You know, I'm tempering expectations. It would be my advice to you as well uh, regarding free agents, big flashy signings. But I think at the end of the day, Cardinals know they've got to make some moves. They've got some players on the roster that maybe won't be next year, and they've got to figure out how to facilitate, make those happen. You know, we'll get into all of it as we go along. But appreciate you guys for joining me this season as we talked Cardinals baseball throughout the campaign, and hope you'll stick with me through the offseason as well. And I sure hope we have a, a better run of it next year. Where you know, you think back to February we started doing these podcasts. I think we're up over seventy or so episodes now. Um, obviously, different hiatuses with. Everything going on throughout the season, um, but uh, the plan was to really do it on an everyday basis, and I think uh, we'll be able to to do some more of that as as things start to normalize. And so, hope you guys have enjoyed it. Uh, it's not going anywhere, uh, even though the season's over. We we're gonna talk some other you know baseball topics as well. I'm sure as the postseason goes along, I'll do some fantasy football related stuff probably at some different points in time. Uh, just general podcast. try to keep things rolling here. Um, definitely would love to have you subscribe and rate and review all that good stuff. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, if you can hit the subscription button and you know give us a like, whatever it is they do on the different platforms. Would love to have you along for the ride. Keep listening. Uh, and if you subscribe, that way you'll get notifications whenever we uh, put out a new episode. So appreciate you guys for being along for the ride. At Bshafer12 is where you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook. Apart from that, though, today, that's kind of wrapping up things on the 2020 Cardinals season. I look forward to being able to break down everything that happens over this offseason with you guys for the future of the Cardinals, and we'll do all that as this offseason develops. Thanks once again. We'll talk to you next time on Be Shafe Daily.